This is a podcast from SPH Radio. Welcome to Much Ado About Sports, where we explore the roles of industry experts in the APAC region and how their respective organizations are adapting to the market. In Tales of the 6-5, we'll chat with Singaporeans who are shaking up the sports industry. All this while debating current issues in sport. Much Ado About Sports with Adrian Abraham. Welcome back to Much Ado About Sports with me, Adrian Abraham. And today, we're going to be doing something a little bit different. We're going to review the Premier League season. What an extraordinary season it was that was almost cut short by the COVID-19 pandemic. Liverpool were able to lift their first English League title in 30 years and their first Premier League title, might I add. And there was action at the bottom half of the table as well. Watford, Bournemouth and Norwich City all relegated to the championship. Now, joining me today is the sports broadcaster and football commentator Shazad Hack. Great to have you on, Shazad. How are you? Hey, Adrian. Good to be with you again. And uh, yeah, it culminates our chat uh, after the longest ever season in the Premier League. So uh, I'm sure a lot of people will be looking forward to start the new season in just uh, a month and a half from now. Yeah, it was incredible. And it went down to the last day, Super Sunday. And it certainly lived up to its name with three teams vying for two Champions League spots, Manchester United, Chelsea and Leicester City. Now, Chelsea convincing winners over Wolves, but United and Leicester, let's talk a little bit about that game. A little bit nervy to start with, but the way United responded, what did you make of that game? I mean, there was so much riding on it, wasn't there, uh, coming into the match. And um, I think, you know, Leicester, as much as they wanted to portray themselves as, look, the pressure's not on us, it's on Man U, they're a bigger club with more resources, you know, they have to look back at, at what's been a very, very disappointing last few months. And they played a little bit like that. They were tentative at times. They had their chances, of course, they didn't take them. But they're a team not in form. And Manchester United, the complete opposite. And in the end, um, I think the quality showed. And Manuel will point to the fact that they've been on the back of a very good run, even though they're just starting to wane towards the very end of the season, which is fair enough. I don't think they've rotated very much, and you can't blame Ole for doing that. But, you know, it wasn't a classic by any means. Uh, there was obviously some contention as well with the penalty and all that that happened. But uh, I think in the end of the day, you've got to look at it overall. And uh, Man U were the better team and deserved to win that match and, and get that Champions League spot. And some incredible stats coming your way. At Christmas, Leicester City, well, they were second in the Premier League on 39 points. United, 19 points behind them. And they were sitting in eighth position, with Chelsea <laughs> occupying fourth spot on 32 points, just seven points above United. But we all know what happened. United went to the transfer window, bought Bruno Fernandes, who kind of revitalized the whole season. And the impact he's had on the club has been nothing short of extraordinary. Kind of. I think he completely did it. <laughs> no, look, uh, all credit to him. Um, he has repaid that fairly hefty transfer fee already, helping to secure the club Champions League football. And, um, you know, if ever there was a catalyst, you know, we talk about the impact of Virgil van Dijk and uh, Alisson on Liverpool. And I think it's safe to say, for now at least, uh, that Bruno Fernandes has had a very similar effect with Manchester United. It's incredible, isn't it? Because often when you bring in a player from overseas into a Premier League team, the usual excuses that are trotted out when they struggle is, oh, they have to get, you know, give them time to get used to English football and the way it's played. 
But he was like a fish to water, wasn't he? The minute he stepped in, it just galvanized the team. And he was clearly a catalyst in how uh, United approached things. And frankly, he has probably saved Ole's job as well. Yeah, because I was one of those people when it came to Christmas last year, kind of unsure about whether Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was going to stay. United were terrible, to say the least. And uh, the injuries of Paul Pogba, Scotty McTominay, and I think if it weren't for that injuries, I don't even think they were considering getting Bruno because I know they were linked with him in the summer, but he's been head and shoulders above the rest. And their goal difference also improved significantly. They were scoring goals for fun. You see Marcus Rashford, the emergence of Mason Greenwood, for example. Yeah. But also Chelsea, they kind of faltered and fell away a little bit. Notably, their goalkeeper, Kepa Arizibalaga. Yeah, it's, it's been an odd one for Chelsea, right? I mean, you can call this the transitional season. Under Frank Lampard, people weren't entirely sure what they were going to get with Chelsea. And, uh, you know, I think the overriding feeling was that there was going to be a long leash given to him, which is unusual for that club, that if they didn't get Champions League football, as much as that's, you know, a basic requirement for a club like Chelsea, they would have been okay with that because he was going to bring in the youngsters and therefore it would need time for the so-called project. But, you know, I think he has confounded the critics. Uh, but let's also be uh, clear, he has been given resources. He's not a man at a club which is struggling for resources. And I think that's already in evidence with who they've signed and who they're planning to sign in the coming season. He has done really well, to be fair. Finishing in the top four Champions League football was what Chelsea wanted all along. And even though we might see, well, defensively, they might have a little bit of a shake-up. But going forward, some of the signings they've made so far, Hakim Ziyech, Timo Werner, and we do know that, that they are going all out next season and we'll be right up there in terms of Premier League challengers. Now let's talk a little bit about, well, I like to call them the overachievers because yeah. at the start of the season, Sheffield United, well, they were expected to go down almost instantly. And the impact, Chris Wilder, LMA Manager of the Year last season, he's just been incredible and they've played football, which is just enjoyable to watch. And the way they finished in the top half of the table, they finished ninth almost made it to Europe on 54 points just behind Arsenal. Mm. And it's been an incredible run from the Blades. Uh, it's been absolutely brilliant. And, you know, I think this just bodes well. It's a great template for clubs that have come up to the Premier League on how to approach things. They didn't have any superstars. They were a very tight unit. They were the, the usual, almost stereotypes of well-organized, compact units. But they played some good football. I think they remind me a bit of Burnley, who have previously stuck to their principles. And, you know, Bournemouth as well, to some extent, though, of course, I'm sure we'll be talking about them. That story has ended. But, you know, I actually feel sorry for Sheffield United because they dropped out of the European places right when it mattered. Um, and they were amongst it for much of the season. But, look, they have overachieved. They've punched well above their weight, as you said. And I think they should be very, very happy on what's been a successful season. Now, the thing that we often see is if a team has confounded the critics and survived, and, and not just survived, but done pretty well, is that second season syndrome and whether they can maintain this. So I'm sure Chris Wilder and the team, and they, I remember him saying, actually, how are you going to look forward to the next, next season? He says, well, I'm going to get drunk first and then worry about it later. And I think that's fair enough. I think he deserves to celebrate. But the planning starts now for next season. We're in conversation with Shazad Haq. He's a sports broadcaster and football commentator. Yeah, I mean, we saw what Wolves did last year and they matched that performance this season as well. And Sheffield United have all the 
players and the sort of quality to do the same next season. Elsewhere in North London, bit disappointing. Arsenal, Tottenham not making the Champions League. Tottenham obviously got rid of Pochettino quite early. Jose Mourinho came in. Arsenal, well, they let go of their manager Unai Emery, replaced him with Freddie Jumberg. And after that, Mikel Arteta's come in. And they're all saying, give him time. You know, let's see what happens. But both of them disappointing again. Not just to watch, but I'm sure as a Tottenham fan, it must have just been frustrating these last couple of months, even after the pandemic, because we all know those were terrible times when football wasn't there. But watching them again, Shazad, what do you make of Tottenham's season? Turmoil is, is right. Uh, for North London generally, not just, it's not just Tottenham Hotspur, as you mentioned. Look, Spurs and Arsenal have gone through a lot. But I think it was particularly traumatic for Tottenham, parting ways with the man who is has given them such confidence and, and taken them to, to heights that they haven't had before. We know consecutive seasons of Champions League football in Mauricio Pochettino. But it was clear that the football just wasn't matching the ambitions anymore. Uh, it was poor. They've been poor since January January of last year. Uh, despite that, they still managed to get to the Champions League final. I was gutted when he left, when he was sacked. But, you know, it was probably the right move. I think there was a feeling that he had taken the club as far as he could for then, uh, for that moment. And uh, they weren't playing well under him and something had to give. Should he have been given more time? Yeah, I mean, you know, this one will be the perennial question. A lot of people are still pining for him to come back because of the kind of football that were being served up by Jose Mourinho. A lot of people will point to the fact Spurs were 14th when Mourinho took over and he came pretty close to getting Champions League football in the end, faltering by seven points. He was 14 away from fourth when he took over and he's ended up three points away from fifth. So... You know, there's a lot of ways of looking at this. And the issue I think that we've got to remember is he's not the same Mourinho that we all know from uh, 10, 15 years ago. And his powers, like Spurs, have waned at the moment. It's probably a marriage of convenience. Shades of him have started to show as the season progressed. He had that charm offensive uh, when he first joined the club. And if we're going to be served up the same kind of staid, unexciting football that we've seen, I'm afraid, in the last few months, as effective as it is, I'm not sure Spurs fans have the patience. The big debate is, would you rather win boringly and perhaps give yourself a real shot at titles, or do you want to keep on with a style of a substance and come away with nothing? And I think this will be the internal debate that every Spurs fan will be having with himself. Yeah, and I think, interestingly, you mentioned uh, Pochettino, and he did, well, I say, took the club as far as it could go. But it also brings back the point of, are the club willing to back the manager? Because a lot of times with Spurs, we've seen that, yes, they've done really well, but they haven't been able to bring the players the manager wants. Elsewhere, you look at Chelsea and what Lampard's been able to do after the transfer ban, and he can spend wherever he wants, and he's got the players, and they're going to build something really special next season. But I'm yeah. sure we can drag this topic on and on and talk about how you know Spurs don't really back their managers in terms of players they exactly want and uh, doesn't go down well with fans. But down right at the bottom of the table, because that's obviously a very interesting you know, subject to talk about. And I do, I will go back to Christmas. The bottom three were Watford, Norwich and Aston Villa. Norwich, obviously newly promoted team, just like Aston Villa. Southampton were right down there as well. But Bournemouth were 14th, you know, on 19 points. Just four points above Aston Villa in 18th place. And Bournemouth did go down controversially. We can go and talk a little bit about that Aston Villa game against Sheffield United when the goalkeeper had the ball inside the net. He was holding on to the ball in the net. 
But then Hawkeye, or whatever system they were using at the time, didn't exactly beep, and Bournemouth went down by a point. Controversy at its finest. Yeah, I, I really do feel for Bournemouth. The case that you've just mentioned there where the technology failed them, and I think just to be clear to our listeners, it wasn't a case of, of VAR. Uh, this is goal-line technology where it is very clear. It is either over the line or it is not over the line, and uh, the beep has to go off almost instantaneously. And the beep only went off at half-time to indicate that, in fact, it had been a goal and it wasn't given. And that has had an impact. At the end of the day, you can argue, well, look, it could have ended up a draw, it could have ended up a different result. But of course, if you're a Bournemouth fan, you're going to look back at that. Um, filing a complaint now at the end of the season seems a little too late. But, you know, I have a very soft spot for Bournemouth, having studied close to that town a long time ago. And I like the way they always play. I like Eddie Howe. And I think that the Premier League will be poorer for it. They're a small town, tiny stadium. But they really, um, we talked about punching above weight uh, earlier, and they're certainly one of those clubs. And uh, it's a shame. It's a real shame. I hope they don't go the way of many of these clubs that uh, really do struggle once they're relegated. But I, I think that uh, a lot of clubs now will be circling like vultures because they have some excellent players. And uh, they'll do very well to try and keep all those players. Yeah, I was just going to say, when we were talking the other day, you did mention that teams will be circling around Eddie Howe. Because as soon as a manager is going to go, I mean, he should be the first name on the shortlist because we've seen what he's done with Bournemouth, the style of football they played and what he's done before they were even promoted. But the other club I want to look at is Watford. And the job Nigel Pearson almost pulled off before Mm. Watford did what Watford do best and get rid of their manager again for the third time this season. Actually, yeah, they're third time this season. There were four managers. That's only happened two or three times before and, and interestingly in the last few seasons. But look... Why would you get rid of Pearson two games before the end of the season? Two huge games. I mean, they weren't easy games. Let's be fair to Hayden Mullins. You know, I mean, they gave it their all against Arsenal and came up just short. But why? Why would you do it? Look, Pearson came in with a very tough job in his hand. What a start he had to his reign, where he put them in a position to even be considered as uh, a team that could escape relegation. And what do you do? You get rid of him just two games before. I mean, why not? Let him have seen it through. Those were two games that they were arguably, probably, almost definitely going to lose, in fact. And it would have been a miracle anyway for them to have pulled off something with just those two games to spare. So what would you have achieved by sacking him? Maybe they thought, since we're going to lose, we might as well do it anyway. I'm not sure what kind of message that sends to the team and to the fans. You probably want to be more united than divided, if anything else. So, look, football is a, is a game of fine margins. And, and I don't know what that effect would have had. But, you know, just from an outsider's point of view, it it still really confounds many people as to why you would get rid of the man who managed to put you in a position which could have led to your escape from relegation. And let's not forget, Watford were the team that, you know, beat Liverpool and put this winning streak to an end before the pandemic and before the break. They also beat United and a few more teams along the way. Keep in mind, he kept Leicester City alive the season before they won the Premier League, uh, before Ranieri came in. So he is more than capable of doing this. But maybe it came down to the financial aspect of it, probably a bonus. Maybe the owners were thinking something that we probably will never know. No, you're right. There is probably more to it. Obviously, there must be more to it. Um, But unfortunately, you know, um, the club... Uh, under this regime have got a track record and so we shouldn't be surprised but yet we should at the timing of it all and you know at the end of the day the losers are the fans again you could say well most likely they were going to get relegated uh, regardless with, with the two games that they had left but 
it just leaves a little bit of a, of a bitter taste in the mouth. Well, the best part about all of this, football, well, Premier League football is going to be back very soon. We don't have to wait like we usually do during the summer months. And football will be back on our screens and, you know, we can start again. Everyone will start on zero. I think that's the best part. So each team has a fair shot at the title. Yeah, absolutely. I can't wait, Adrian. And it's uh, only about uh, six weeks away. So I'm uh, looking forward to that. Perfect. Well, thank you, Shazad, for your time. Always a pleasure speaking with you and look forward to catching up with you soon. I'm sure I'll get your thoughts once we get past the Europa and UEFA Champions League competitions and see how the respective teams have done in those competitions and look ahead to the new season because I'm sure, particularly in the transfer window, there will be a lot happening. Thanks, Ami, Adrian. Look forward to it. Much Ado About Sports is a production of SPH Radio. It's hosted and produced by Adrian Abraham. You can also find us on iTunes, Google Podcast, and streaming on Google Home. Listen to more of our podcasts at sphradio slash podcast. And if you have feedback for us, send it to podcast at sph.com.sg.